0: Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 51. This is part two with Matt Wilson, the return of Matt Wilson. And I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation. It's another one that went by really quick. Uh, Things just flowed along and I look forward to having Matt back on future episodes. I think he's going to be our first three-peat. I would lay money on the fact that he will be our first three-peat uh, here on the show. Uh, let's talk about some Fury Industry stuff going on. So if you live in the Brooklyn vicinity, South Brooklyn vicinity, come and try our small group classes or personal training. And if you don't live nearby, sign up for some online coaching with yours truly. And for trainers out there or enthusiasts that want to get some continuing education, I've got original strength pressing reset workshop happening on september 16th dvrt ultimate sandbag training level one and level two in boston at msc strength that's happening on september 22nd and 23rd and then i'm out of the country for a bit teaching and then right now for 2019 march 2nd and 3rd the rkc hits momentum fitness for the first time in New York City. So come and take a course with me, come and train with me, come and say hi. I appreciate your support and I want to be able to help you any way that I can. Visit CoachFury.com for all info on taking a course or training with me. That's enough about me. I really want to get into this conversation with Matt and I. So, everybody, Matt
0: Wilson, part two. It's like I could tell you're chewing faster. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. I know when I used to be in
1: like grade school, and if I got hungry, I would either swallow my gum or sometimes eat paper. Yeah, sure. That's smart. (laughs) Um, Hey, welcome back. It's episode 51. (laughs) Um, We left off on the last episode. um, We were talking about... We we talked about... uh, I love, actually, the conversation about the use of the word authentic and authenticity, because... I use it a lot and it actually made me sort of really look at how I use that and what I view as that and uh, I do think that it's kind of amazing how overall that has become like it's an important term in a way but it's also like now like the extra strength of self-development. It's a sales term. Yeah. Um, So that was really interesting. We got into wearing outfits, costumes and exploring that. And then I think, you know, we're we're just, let's pick this up. What we were talking about is, you're banged up right now. Yeah, just a little bit. So can you explain in, in short detail, because I got the long, st- yeah. the, the long detailed version of it for, for the listeners, what, what you're dealing with right now. And I have that same shirt, by the way. Oh, sweet. And I, I, I think you
0: expressed that when I wore it to Steph's party. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, uh, you know, I teach circus arts, and I was practicing uh, a circus skill on a giant three-and-a-half-foot, four-foot sphere, and I wiped out, and I beat up my wrist. Yeah. And what's your recovery time? Do they give you any sort of ETA? Oh, yeah. I got like six weeks uh, and then um, and then rehab from there. So one of the things we were just
1: talking about is uh, if I'm going to be in, like really fully honest, like I've been having, you know, August for trainers is always a slow month. Being an independent business person now for a, uh, over a year, uh, you know, business was slow to begin with. So right now I'm back in that wave of with training where you hit a peak and then, whether it's, you lose some clients for whatever natural reasons happen, nothing bad, or you just realize you've been overworking yourself and then you decide to dial back. So you have a quality of life. Um, there's always those like peaks and valleys, right? So I'm definitely in a valley and I think I'm digging a hole within the valley right now, uh, to see how maybe there's more water underneath. Absolutely. Than a, than you never a, know what
0: you're going to find. Then get out
1: your dowsing rod. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and we were talking about how when when people will say they want to become a trainer, like you've been working at a gym and you decide to make the transition, that a lot of the times, and I think this was very much so uh, the impression we would give off at MFF, it's like the fun of it, right? And it is fun, uh, I, I never want this to sound like uh, we, have, we have an amazing job, but it is very much like an hourly freelance world, almost even if you're a staff employee, it's basically like hourly freelance in a way, even if you're getting staff and, and, and benefits and matt is not only a trainer he's also a performer so we were also correlating that with the struggle as performing artists like what do you find uh, we'll, we'll break this into three part three three parts of this question what do you find is the biggest struggle so we'll get the negative out of the way we'll talk about what you think is the you know the best thing that comes from that kind of a lifestyle, and then like, how do you manage the stress of that, whatever that negative aspect is? So let's start. with What's the hardest part of it?
0: Cool. So the hardest part of being like a freelance performing artist or freelancer in general? Yeah, or in trainer. I think there's different levels in freelance too, sure. right? So as a trainer, it's hour to hour. Mm-hmm. As a performing artist, it's gig to gig. Mm-hmm. I would imagine some of your gigs are hour based, but maybe day. Or- most, of, I'd say most of my gigs are hourly, unless it's a contract gig, and then it's weeks or months at a time. Yeah. Uh, the longest I was ever anywhere consistently was MFF um, I mean when I moved to the city as a performing artist people would often say oh that's, that must be so hard you never know where your next job's going to come from and on the one hand I actually think most people do face that you know what I mean particularly in today's economy the economic reality is everyone's going to be looking for work pretty regularly and my, but my response to it at the time was always I, I really like the pursuit of the work And I think that's always been really helpful Um, that I I like doing the work, whether it's performing art, uh, being a performing artist or working at MFF. uh, The work is really cool, but I also liked looking for it and the creative aspect of what went into that. Yeah, there's been interesting
1: times where at the moment like i don't know if i ever feel like i'm coasting with my business mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever felt coasting but where you're like i have enough clients my day is pretty full like i'm good and then all of a sudden you're like a couple of things shift right somebody yep. loses the job somebody moves out of town whatever it is and suddenly you're like wow i haven't been on my game and you i, I get these desperate moments panic moments and then you come up with a game plan mm-hmm. the interesting thing here now is you know self employed working from home is a a, a trying to find the direct targets outside of social media to make that outreach to bring it. Whereas at a gym or a bigger setting, you have it. You know? Yeah, sure, you have it's different influx of people. It's and, a different type of networking. It's, yeah. um, in, in visual effects, when I was doing that, it'd be like, oh, here's my designer friends, my animator friends, my producer course, friends. Yeah. Like, hey guys, I'm, you know, I'm available right now. And so project
0: then, to project, you're
1: getting introduced to new people, and then they're friends of friends. So it's a bigger web versus now I feel like I'm trying to get like, a person who doesn't know me to hire me. So that's a really interesting dynamic that I never, I don't think I even thought of from if this was a brick and mortar facility where people came inside, right? Like looking like, it's a weird view on sales, I guess is that I've never fully felt the weight of the perspective Mm -hmm. as I do now trying to build this brand up. Um, what is the, what, what brings the most stress about that to you that, that, you enjoy looking for the hustle, but what, what's the well, downside? Well, it's funny. I
0: used to like looking for the hustle and now I'm like tired <laughs> of hustling. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I, I, I feel that sometimes, yep. you know, like there's such this thing right now about the
1: hustle and the side hustle and the, and it's like, I just want to like f- fucking do my work and do it well. Yeah. And I want to be respected for it, but I want to be respected out of the results the work gets versus yep. like having to do more social media to try to get the name out so that I can do that and I can reach those people. Um, is it just the perpetual, like the perpetual nature, like when you're on that like hustle of looking for business, it, it's easy to make that like almost
0: a 24-hour, 7-day job. Oh, absolutely, job. and for some that can be really filling, fulfilling, uh, and filling, uh, and then but then also depends on well, what other aspects of your life are you cultivating? You know, uh, what relationships are you involved in? Uh, what worlds are you inhabiting? What is fulfilling? What are you, uh, what are you building for yourself as an individual? If it's your physical practice. Well, you know, how much of your life is your training and health regime? If, if you have a, a significant other in your life, how are you cultivating that? How are you cultivating your friends? And, and how does creating a business fit into that? I, the more, oh, I found that the more overlap there is, uh, the better it feels. As random as the schedule could be at MFF, or
1: any gym, for that matter, was it easier? Did it feel more comfortable? Almost, almost like a nine to five,
0: having knowing that, like, this is the place I'm going to be. Even the though the consistency was was wonderful, absolutely, the consistency was wonderful, and knowing, that, yeah, there's so much more, so many more constants, which were really helpful, both from an employment perspective and also from a creativity perspective when it came to creating experiences, knowing yeah. who are you creating for on a regular basis. Because I appreciate the gorilla component too, whether it's my work in the hospital. Or random festival performance there's one experience that you create moment to moment you have a rough sense of what you're going to be doing but then when you know who you're going to be working with on a regular basis then you can really make more intimate connections when it comes to crafting some kind of creative experience yeah one of the things that I loved of
1: making the switch to MFF as opposed to most gyms where you feel there's not, I wouldn't even say feel there's actually deliberate sales pressure of a specific kind of, of like outreach. Like, um, you know, I trained some people from some big box gyms and they'll be like, yeah, you know, uh, I haven't met my numbers or I, I, I crushed my numbers and you know, they have to go up to somebody, somebody's on the treadmill and they have to go up and introduce themselves and like, you know, initiate a conversation to try to sell personal training sessions. And I've never had to do that. You know, I've been able to like, uh, you know, sometimes you see somebody on the floor like uh, at Five Points, you know, because uh, they had open gym there as well. Not, not a big open gym program because most people took the classes. But, you know, you just start to talk to somebody and maybe they come and sign up for a couple of sessions or someone sees you working out. But we never had that direct like selling to a person to bring them in. It was more like let's create this experience and then the experience sells itself. Now, we're clearly a part of that. Like we're not off the hook. But it wasn't so much like you have to go out there and go say hi to thirty ninjas specifically that are coming for something else because they're already coming in through the door for us or something. Totally, yeah. We didn't have that kind of pressure, which was awesome. But is that? I would imagine you must have that pressure when you go for a performing job, an acting job, and and folks like Matt's all Matt's Matt's like very much all over the place. I mean, it's it, it, it's theater, performing arts, circus arts, TV shows. Yeah. Matt's been uh, what's the children's it's sh- called Cyber Chase. Yeah. I mean, folks with kids, you've seen Matt most likely. Um, so it's a really broad spectrum and some of the, uh, in MFF in the, the basement of the Hell's kitchen office is the womb. And a lot of the times that's where Matt and I would have chats. And one of the things that would frequently come up sometimes is, you know, money and the inconsistency because Matt's wife, Steph is also a performer and a trainer of a, of a different style of fitness than what I do. um, And that's, like, a really hard thing to juggle. And and sometimes I think it's, like, a benefit if your spouse is involved because they understand it. And potentially, like, it's a negative because you're both in the same boat. I know I'm very grateful that Kim is pretty stable. I mean, I shouldn't say pretty. She's very stable. Um, And I know it's taken her some time to get used to me being so random. But, you know, this has come up on the podcast before. The more I work, the more I gun it, the more... Kim and the kids are like, where's my husband? Where's daddy? And I will make a
0: financial... I will take a financial hit to have the time with my family. We raise a really good point, right? Which is we often think strictly in terms of finances. Uh, and it's easy to neglect the emotional labor component. And emotional labor has value. Very true. You know? And if you don't... if It's so easy to not take the emotional labor into consideration as a freelancer, you know? Uh, but Because there is a cost there. Uh, Steph and I are in constant conversation and dialogue when it comes to either looking for work or taking work, uh, evaluating work based on, okay, well, who are we working with? Uh, what, what is the income? And how much labor goes into it? Uh, I, 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 there used to be this, uh, uh, I don't know if it's called the four P's. Anytime you're contemplating I, a project. Yeah, I'm forgetting what they are yeah, that I know. I think them. it's, yeah, anytime you're contemplating a job, you're looking at the people, the place, the pay, and the project. That's it. And it's like those four simple components, you can immediately begin to evaluate okay, well, how invested am I in this? Or what is this going to do for me? If the pay is really, really great, but it's a shitty project and you're going to hate yourself doing it, th- that takes its toll after a while. Or you can just suck it up. Yeah,
1: I know for me, when I first became a coach, not, not even first, but like the first several years, you know, I was just trying to get every opportunity I could and I would take a lot and I felt like, a, you know, I wouldn't be here where I am Absolutely. right now without it. a gig
0: it. is a gig is a gig. But I,
1: I definitely overextended myself and, you know, one of the books that we had as a book assignment, MFF Essentialism, and that idea of being able to say no. That was a big book for me. And that was a
0: huge book for me. I I'm still working on it. Yeah, I
1: know, me too. I mean, it's like... Uh, As I have the clutter on the kitchen table in a Godzilla collection. Um, you know That idea, though, of finally like, okay, it's actually
0: okay to say no no to somebody. It's tricky. I'm obsessed with peer pressure. I've always been obsessed ever since the D.A.R.E. program in sixth grade. And (laughs) um, it's a thing. It really is. The thing about essentialism or any text that's read in an entrepreneurial setting is everyone is happy to talk about a book and talk about... Uh, what they got out of it or, or, or the knowledge bombs. But the thing about essentialism or, or, or dialing it back or dialing it down is, I, this is my personal feeling, in an economy that still revolves around constant connectivity and constant work and constant hustle, it's not sexy to talk about how, how few things you're focusing on. You know what I mean? Like that that's not I, I have a I call it sexy cocktail conversations. Like what do you talk about when you're with friends and you rarely talk about the things that matter, meaning health practices, minimalism, dialing it back cuz it's not sexy. I mean, I think it's sexy as fuck. But yeah, I'm trying to
1: I know when I when I when I started trying to schedule my life post MFF cuz suddenly instantly had a ton of free time. And I don't have as much now as with with the class program, but I had a, a lot of free time and I had a lot of traveling time, like commuting to some sessions, uh, until I found out that I did not like bouncing around doing in home stuff. Like that was a grind. Yeah. Um, and the, it's
0: important the, to discover that or rediscover. Yeah, that.
1: I mean, uh, the, my business model from when I when I left, what I was building towards when I left, and where I'm at now, I never thought I'd be doing classes at home. I mean, I love it. The crew is awesome, and you know. If this continues to grow, even at the slow rate it does, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, but it's so different. It's gone through about four permutations as it's evolved from trying to have more of an emphasis on online coaching, which is growing something I'd already been, done, been doing for years, and then realizing like, okay, at this threshold of online clients, I don't enjoy this. I still do a good job, but I don't enjoy this backing that off, so here's that cap there. And I basically stay between 10 and 15 people, and if I start to hit 10 or someone's about to go off, I do a little outreach. Uh, So folks, that's not like a sales scarcity thing. Like, I really, I love the people I work with online. Um, and It's also why I generally, unless there's a cert coming up, people have a three month minimum, because if you're only gonna come on for a month and it's not for a cert, I'm really not interested. Like, you can find somebody that's gonna wanna do it. I wanna invest time with you as a coach, As you would want any coach in any sort of learning environment or teacher. Like four weeks isn't a lot. You're not going to play fucking Stairway to Heaven in four weeks. Like I want to be able to share what I have to offer. So three months is a good legitimate thing. Um, And then, you know, then it was like, all right, I'm, I'm hustling these private training sessions wherever I can and trying to book more workshops. And then workshops, like it's amazing when they happen, but then you're away from home. And then suddenly like, you know what? Two or three a year, don't book. They just, no one signs up, not enough people sign up, and it's just not an affordable thing to do. And you're like, well, that was potentially like a couple thousand, a few thousand dollars that I don't have now. And so Sweet. it's like, I'm trying to find within this, within within this whole volatile world of what we do. And it, it sounds like so fucking overdramatic. Hmm. But you know, in this like roller coaster of financial thing, I'm trying to like create a base here where like at least it's like, somewhat stable in its chaotic nature right it's like uh mad max fury road on blu-ray like it's a fucking crazy movie but it's like here on one thing in a (laughs) blu-ray if that makes sense absolutely your movie references always make sense Uh, that was the first mad max reference i think i've made out of 51 episodes i don't know how i've not done that
0: the last of the v8 interceptors that's two all right All right. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's cool. Well, you raised a really good point, right? Which is, I think, something that's similar to being uh, whether you're a performing artist or a a personal trainer or fitness uh, instructor is determining, okay, well, what's the product you're selling and and who are you selling it to? Because the thing is, if the market's not there, you kind of got to figure out what the market is for what you're offering. Um, You know, so I walk on stilts. I love walking on stilts. I really do. I'm really passionate about it. Uh, So then it's like, okay, well, who hires people walking on stilts? You know, I have multiple agents and and friends, people who I work with uh, that book me. But if I were wanting to grow that, then I would need to look at, okay, well, what kind of uh, outdoor events in the tri-state area would I be able to pitch that to? You know, and then who's responsible for creating the events? Uh, Who's the event coordinator and the planners? You know, I have to identify every single piece to determine if this thing that I like to do is even something that I can book on my own, you know? So let's turn this into the positive side of Mm -hmm. this,
1: because this is one of the things that really impressed me just about a lot of the membership of MFF, right? And, And you guys as well. But, you know, I got out of film school wanting to write and direct. And my my thesis film, Kick the Dog, won a bunch of NYU awards, didn't win like big ones, but I got to go to like, you know, the DGA, they took me out to the DGA as part of a showcase, I got to a couple of film festivals, and you know, I met a couple of literary agents, and quite frankly, had nothing to follow it up, because I think in my head, I was already thinking about, you know, Getting married and, and and starting a career and, and trying to make money within the field as opposed to just focusing on the art, right? Totally. So the simple fact that we can have this discussion that, like, you have been able for years to maintain a level of work in doing this professionally, I think, it is also, like, a fucking awesome show that, like, if you love stilt walking, you
0: can make a living... Still walking. Well, I will be clear. The still walking is a piece of piece my multi-piece of pie. Yeah, But totally. you know what I mean. Yeah, like absolutely. within the
1: circus arts, within within yeah. your skill sets, to still be able to creative and share these other things. Like, um, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that – and I know for me, it took me three years of college before I realized I could go for a film degree because as much as I love movies, I had no idea that was an option. Mm-hmm. I knew there were film schools, but the reality of like, oh, you can make money in this industry – it seemed like you had to be a rich kid to do it. Like, sure. had no idea. Certainly with digital video, I mean, and now phones, you know, this was mini DV, was digital video when I was going through. You know, anybody can do it. I think that's like fucking amazing. But then, you know, you meet guys like that, you know, are just working actors, you know, of various levels of maybe success or notoriety, but like, you know, they're doing it and they have their high times and they have low times, but they're doing what they want to do you know, somewhat on their own terms, certainly we're all at the, you know, sort of at the mercy of the casting director, the director, the producer, the clients that, you know, that are coming to see us, but I think that's something else to do, and, and that's where I find my struggle is now, is I do look at this, like, if I wanted to be an, a, a painter, this, this is me trying to make commissions, painting artwork right now, you know what I mean, like, it's just... So I think um, one of the things that Matt and I that spurred off this direction of the conversation is we were just talking about, you know, some new trainers that want to, sometimes they see it looks fun. They don't see the struggle of the hour to hour, or if you work at a big box gym, how much selling is involved, uh, competition and whatnot, whether you allow competition to even be within your framework. um, I'm not a highly competitive person. I want to do better than potentially if someone's doing shitty next to me, but I would love everybody to be at actually a higher level than me so that I can grow from them as opposed to just being the same base level. But um, I think that's like whether whether you're going to be an actor or in the circus arts or a a fitness trainer, you have to have that real passion for it so that you can weather those storms. And I guess that's why I don't know in, in the performer world but, you know, what is it? The, the life expectancy is, is two to three years of a trainer hmm. in terms of professionally. Um, what would you suggest for anybody, whether it's as a trainer, even in the
0: performing arts, to try to weather the storm of those lows? Well, okay. So we're talking about a few things, right? Because there's this, this, there are so many conversations about passion, find your passion, pursue your passion. And that gets into the similar conversations about being authentic. Yeah. What is one's authentic self? What is one's passion? Kind of. I'm actually personally personally kind of critical of passion and dream chasing right now, just because it's really thrown around a lot. That being said, I think it's important to constantly uh, work towards knowing yourself, you know, what drives you, what floats your boat, right? Uh, You gotta, you know, it's it's an ongoing process for us all, but you know, you wanna know, you know, you get to know yourself on a regular basis because that also changes. Doing something on your own is different from doing it with other people, is different from friendships and relationships. You know, like other people are a huge part of anything that you're going to be doing, um, and so I I, I often hear uh, just people talking about um, passions in isolation when it's really interconnected, right? So you know, it's it, everything's interconnected. So there's the notion of okay, well, what what floats your boat? What are you interested in? And 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 and, and is that something that you want to rely on for your income? Yeah. You know, not necessarily. Uh, speaking of the peer pressure and the social pressure we were talking about earlier, I think it's so easy to find validation in income. It just is, you know, like if you're making money doing this thing that you like to do, you, that validates your choices. And so it's really um, complicated to navigate doing what you want to do as well as how you're going to make your life happen yeah. and understand that you can do both and that it's it shouldn't be, is it, no matter what it feels like it doesn't invalidate what you're doing if that's not how you make your living. You know? Um, As far as weathering the storms, I mean, so you know you're talking earlier about low points in the year and whatnot. So you've got what you make per gig or per hour, you make weekly rates, monthly rates, but then you've got this bigger picture thing which is not just what's your salary in a year, but how does that ebb and flow over the course of a year? And are there trends in that? You know, the longer that you do any kind of freelance, you start to recognize or see trends in income. And the fact is it doesn't matter if you make less in August and more in December, because you know in that six month chunk of time, it's probably gonna be fairly consistent. Yeah. It's when it's not consistent that that's when you really want to look at, well, what are you doing? Where are you targeting? Well, Steph and I have these conversations all the time. Um, a lot of work for us happens around peak holidays. So September, October is not a peak time. And you do. It feels a little nerve wracking to to not be making uh, the, the the gig uh, money that you are used to in other parts of the year. But then you look at last year and you look at the year before, and you're like, okay, this is not unreasonable. This is not an unreasonable expectation. So what can I do in the fallow time? Yeah, you know, for myself, for my life, or for growing the business you know since you have that time now yeah i think it's interesting for the the, the thing for me that i think i
1: feel like weighing it weighing on, weigh on me now is this is the first time like i'm without a gym backing me up that way so i don't know necessarily what my my trend points are, absolutely right? yep, i have no i have no average yeah the first year is a tricky one i have a goal number of class members mm-hmm. i'd like to have total class members and i have you know that baseline of online members and then seeing where personal training fills in but I also know in like pushing the per, in the classes like my personal training business has dropped because uh, again folks it's all me if you come to Fury Industries right now um though I'm considering starting something to have another coach here um but I don't know where those are and for me it's like you know I I, I stress about it and but it's Tess Ball when she was on the podcast she she phrased this differently I felt more weight of stress when I was making six figures at a job that I had formerly loved but was now beating me down. And she framed this great because it was their stress upon me
0: versus the stress I feel financially is my stress. Absolutely. These are your choices. It's my stress based on That's my choice. That's a huge choice. point. Like, honestly, not to sound like an asshole, but it's a luxury to be able to choose our stresses. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we were inflicting
1: this on ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it is something that I want to, you know, even going through an art school and having a punk rock background and all that stuff. And, you know, what'd you laugh when I was like middle-aged skate punk dirtbag? I said that once and you laughed at me for that. Cause in, it's awesome. In a good way. But like before I was a middle age, when I still had shreds of hair left, you know, I, I think I still wanted like to have like the car and the house and all sure. that shit. And I accomplished that stuff. And I wish I, I didn't have that. I mean again, I don't not in a regret way. I just don't want my kids to feel that they have to follow that paradigm. No. I want them to be able to like if if you know, my daughter really wants to get into politics or writing, I will support her on either end of that. Um she's bright enough where she'll probably actually do well on either side of that. Whatever Ben decides to do, I'll support him, but if one of them decides to follow the arts, you know, that's going to could be a real long, it could be potential
0: failure. But
1: anything can. Well, here's be. the
0: deal. That's the thing. It's so funny. And I'm, I'm this if we can go off on a bit of a tangent. I love it. Yeah, cool. please. Because I feel like to our detriment as a country, uh, as soon as someone talks about pursuing the arts, it's like you're like, "Oh, that's risky." And then uh, concurrently, art is devalued in schools. There're no opportunities to actually practice it. There's this there's this link to art and financial success or financial risk. And I'm curious about that because the fact is the financial risk is there no matter what you pursue, you know, nothing's a sure thing. Yeah, I think that in the greater scope, if
1: you, uh, I would say if you look at a corporate world, right, say, so I I got my, my, I guess I I officially got my start, I I did all, I mean, I did all the film jobs, reading copy and, you know, um, Production assistant work. I worked at a talent agency. I would, you know, read scripts for a company that had a deal. Like you I learned I, the industry. I, I did. I worked in the shipping department. I took every like shitty entry level job you could have. Smart. Um, to find where I wanted to go, and then I ended up in advertising. So, but if I look at like, a, say, an editorial company has, say, a, a moderate size has thirty people stop Top to bottom, say like a a, a decent sized boutique gym has thirty people top to bottom. So there's like limited options, opportunities to get within that. So if, whatever those art jobs might be, they're probably going to be more limited, right? I think the the image. When you say an art job, can you get a little bit more? Say like specific? art direct. Even if you want to even try to apply that on a design, you know, on a more mm-hmm. corporate level of like say design, like something like Kim does or something like you know, there's not as many opportunities whereas if you look at like a corporate type job whatever that might be you see big corporations bigger numbers of people somewhere you can get your leg in and the fail potentially or the struggle becomes will you get up the ladder the right way like shoots and ladders to get yeah. to the seat you want versus trying to like um I think as a, as an artist or a performer, you, you really try to manifest something from a different perspective. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, totally. But like, instead of trying, like, I'm not trying to, I, you know, if I look at the pieces, I've climbed a ladder, I guess, but I'm not trying to like get to someone's seat. Like, I just want to manifest where I'm happy. Yeah. And that doesn't, I mean, the titles that I hold and whether it's, you know, DVRT or strength action OS, whatever, um, are great and I'm super proud of them. And I, but, like, at, in terms of Coach Fury here working with people, like, the titles don't matter. It's just I want to manifest like a place where people want to come and train and I want to, you know, get more members. Yeah, I need the money to survive so I can maintain this, but I'm also not necessarily looking to like have a franchise based of businesses out on the board. I, I just want to be able to like help put my kids through college. I want Kim and I to have, be able to retire. But more importantly, I want to help like a fucking good amount of rad people here with what I can do and get better at it. So it's more of a manifestation versus like mailroom to assistant, je- you know what I mean? Like yeah. working up titles that way. Oh. I think some of the struggles we might've felt within the team at MFF sometimes is there's a lack of roles
0: of different roles to feel like you're making forward progression. What's interesting about that is, so I worked at the Apple store prior to uh, working at MFF, and based on that experience, I'm wondering if the 21st century economy is a little bit more horizontal when it comes to work environments, where management is kind of lateralized, you know? And again, I'm only speaking from two experiences, which is an Upper West Side, uh, badly successful retail uh, in, in the tech industry, and then a really cool fitness startup that was creating their own systems from the ground up. And, and and when you mentioned the notion of the lack of roles, I, I'm wondering if that's actually more of a, just an economy wide thing. I don't have enough experience in other places. I think it might be a change
1: that's definitely happening, but I think there's an impression, um, especially from potentially from a performer side coming into like a business structure that there are stages. Like there's the, uh, You know the vision, the vision we have in our head of like all these different management roles, but in reality, like you know, even MFF probably had more specific management roles than any boutique gym out there. You know, like no, I don't know. I I still don't know one that has a business team the way that MFF does. Um, Maybe they should. I mean, maybe they should. Um, You know, it'll be very interesting to see in a great way the impact that Mark and Michael and Business for Unicorns are going to have on that front because clearly I am not a believer in this and I mean I'm in the role right now because my membership just does not I do not have enough people to require me realistically to try to hire somebody I'd basically be giving away the memberships to pay somebody to be here but I've seen a ton of people basically grind themselves into the dirt, trying to like teach every class, run every session, do all the marketing, go to the continuing education. And you know, I, I, I would not expect to open doors on an, on an external brick-and-mortar facility and have like a comfortable life, but I think uh, being able to delegate is important. And it might be because I think for a lot of folks that first step is just rent right? Like I'm tired of this big box gym. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I can change. This is the rent I can afford on this place. And I got a killer name and a friend made a logo and then let's go. But I think even though that's kind of like as loosely as Mark and Michael in a way started, there was so much um, self-analysis on how to improve upon themselves. You know, because Mark will admit too, like for as, as intelligent as he is, he's still sort of like trying to figure it out. Um, And it's the impression sometimes that he has all the answers versus like he's in there with us too. And I think just what MFF does and what I think, you know, uh, you know, BSP, the Strength Faction Cats, Chris and Todd's Place do is this amazing self-analysis of what is working and what's not working. And then how do we systemize what works while minimizing, you know, or eradicating what doesn't. And I still struggle with that because it's like, you know, folks, if you were in here like <laughs> Matt and I are, 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 are my dining room table, Kim and I's dining room table. And, you know, we're in the living room and we're basically going to slide this table to the right in about a half an hour when my class shows up. Um, low overhead. Low overhead because this is the reality of, you know what I mean? It's like, a, I guess if, if, if we sort of like almost like, I guess, wrap up. My thought on the whole thing is, is I would like people like if you really think this is something you're gonna love, right? Like passion, it's interesting too. Like passion is becoming a buzzword, and dreams are becoming a buzzword. And I don't necessarily if they're know if they're negative or not yet for myself, but like there's that like gut feeling you have, right? Like there's something in my gut that says like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Like I'm a big Pressfield fan. I would imagine. The fear of failing at what I'm doing is the resistance, and, like, that's why I keep doing it. Um, And I tried looking at a gym. I can't afford a rent. Rents are fucking crazy in this neighborhood.
0: And what I can imagine, I mean, it may not even be worth it. You know what I mean? Like, ideally, I'll say this. This is another business
1: switch. I would like, when we hit a certain number of members, I would like to get a small space so that I could have a home base of access to anybody that wanted to come in. Whether that's my members just feeling comfortable to stop in at the gym and say, hey, or for new people that, like, you know, might not be hearing from me. Because right now, I'm like, though I do social media, I'm 100% referral-based. And it's smart. It's safe for me because it's in my home. But, like, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this podcast who isn't aware of who I am or Or hears of a gym in somebody's living room. You have to feel safe to come in here. Um, And then you'll see that I look like a convict. And then you'll see the Godzilla toys. And, you know, meet Ramona. And you'll be like, ah, like this is is fine. But, you know, that first point of contact is a big leap to go into somebody's apartment building versus a storefront. So I would like to have that. I would also like to have a couple of treatment rooms for physical therapy to happen at the same time. Kind of like my friends at Catalyst have. So, you know, I, I have that goal now, and I haven't had it. Like, I remember when I started MFF, I wanted to have a gym. And like, Mark would ask, what's your five-year goal? And I'd say, have a gym in five years. And then after my first year there, I'm like, I don't think I could do better than you guys are doing. Like, I don't want to have a gym anymore. And then when I realized the impact on my schedule, like a glory of too many successes, that sounds so fucking egotistical, but, like, I accomplished a lot of life missions. Um, my I, I just had no life outside of it, you know? We talk about the minimalism, like, right? So, anyway, folks, like... It, it, you can make the things happen, but there's a reason why I train out in my living room. It's because I can't afford rent, but I want to do this thing, so I'm making it happen. And it's one of the really things I love about training and I love about performing now and what digital technology allows us. This podcast is part of it, is it's We have like the ability to be punk as fuck now
0: in a way that wasn't possible. You can make Although, something. Oh, but check this out. But then is it still punk? Like, it's so, this, this, this is so exciting to talk about because you're totally right. It's the DIY maker aesthetic is now mainstream. And what does that mean? What is punk within that context? I, I think that if, and I don't think it necessarily even has to be rebellious,
1: but I think if you and yourself are following something that you just feel, it's hard to define whatever that feeling is. But that feeling that I had to not make, uh, that I couldn't make movies in high school, if I were in high school and I had that feeling, but then I realized like on my fucking phone that I could do it and I made it, that's punk to me. Right? If um, you know, if all of your friends are listening to emo or whatever, I'm I'm so out of date on like <laughs> what, what music's big right now and uh you wanna fucking go out and find like original Debbie Gibson vinyl first pressing. Like that's, that's cool. punk to me. Yeah. Right? Um Shout out to Chris Barbero, who was the Debbie Gibson fan amongst a bunch of new waivers and punks. Um, So I do think punk is very much alive in terms of like I think this entrepreneur thing for those that are in it for – they have to deem for themselves if it's the right reason. Uh, Again, entrepreneurs being a buzzword now. But like independent business people, we have the ability to do shit we couldn't do. I think that is fucking both commercial, you know, capitalistic obviously in a degree. But I think it's also – punk is fuck because we're doing it. You know, Discord Records is an amazing company. You know, Henry Rollins, you know, publishing label, like, they have structure. I mean, they're not huge things, but, you know, they created avenues for people to make stuff and I think that is punk even if you're not necessarily putting out Rollins type stuff or, you know, DC Punk or Folk or whatever. Um, so, I think punk's alive. The interesting thing that came up the other night, we were at, we Kim and I went and saw a couple of shows. We saw Rise Against um, and, and, you know, with I don't want to get this political, but just in terms of reference of a punk, it's like where's this music? We should be having a music revolution right now. We should be having an artistic revolution right now. We're having a a, a huge swell of like you know political activism right now, but we're not. Fi- I feel like we're not necessarily getting the art behind it on the level that in the context of Trump America I expected. And I'm wondering if something is new is going to happen, or have we literally?
0: Tapped all of that out. That's a little bit off of a tangent. Well, I think that there are so many channels that I'm sure things are happening and percolating. It's just the question is: is it a mass? Is it a critical mass? Or how does it attain a critical mass? Yeah, I right? Because like, I am so clueless when it comes to so many social media platforms. Yeah, me too. And different communities and worlds. And uh, I, I think that because uh, potentially we've experienced a lot of siloing over the last 10 to 15 years, things are happening and performance and art is being made, the question becomes, well, what is it doing? Or does it need to do anything? Those are some of the questions I'm really interested in and it was one of the reasons I went to grad school. But like, so, well, what happens? I mean, when you see Reebok ads in the subway about um, strength and women and being uh, an individual, it's still a Reebok ad, right? so that's such a hard thing
1: it's so hard right like um i was talking with my friend jen who works for a clothing company and she says her company doesn't do anything specifically for pride month because her company always supports pride versus when suddenly you have a bunch of pride materials it's like yeah it's great you're supporting but it's also a marketing angle absolutely if you're not projecting that all the time right so it's the same thing you were saying it's like what is strength what is i think
0: that maybe what's particularly important or salient, is, is, is being able to critically analyze performance, art, media, constantly, and consistently, because it's just media is media and it's a conglomerate, you know, whether it's independent or not, and it's important to figure out, well, where's it coming from, how's it being disseminated, whose voices are being heard, how is it amplified, and then ultimately what's it doing, just because so many media messages with a socially conscious um, undertone or or, or message are still are selling things and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I I think it does get troubling to see something that looks like it's what we used to call radical and think, Oh, you know, the radical aesthetic, the punk aesthetic, like what is that today? Honestly, the things that are disruptive aren't popular, you know, the stuff that's disruptive is never popular. And I think we've forgotten that. You know, we, we, we look back on, say, the Lower East Side and we romanticize punk and, and all the stuff that's happening in, in, in the city. Yeah. When it was happening, man, that was on the margins. And then there was margins beyond those margins. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's the impact of, say, like
1: if we keep focusing on like, you know, punk or alt music, like I think the impact, I, I think it's lost at how small it truly was. You know, when you, when you listen to, like, you know, cats like Ian McKay from Minor Threat or, you know, the early New York hardcore days where it's like it was trading cassettes and fanzines, like hand cut type Xerox fanzines, handmade record labels.
0: Which is also really potentially optimistic because that means in the contemporary punk DIY economy where everyone, potentially, not everyone, but uh, there's a lot more access than there ever was, you can still potentially make a difference with a very small following. Yeah. Instead of looking for these astronomical numbers, I think I'm troubled by the fact that in order to make a difference, we feel like we need to reach millions of people, and I don't believe that's true. Yeah, and I, I think the the great thing
1: is is we don't have the we don't have the production wall, right? Like right. if you wanted to make a comic book, you don't need a publisher or a huge financial investment. You can make a comic book. You want to make a movie? Yeah, it might be low budget, right? There's always going to be these considerations and slides. You want to write a book? I mean, fuck, how many of our trainer friends have written books? Free ebooks, you know, whatever that might be. Um, of course, I haven't yet, but maybe coming soon. Um, but like those are things we have now that we don't have to have a publisher, you don't have to have a record. Producer, You don't need to have a record deal. Yes. Will it help your levels of success? Yeah. So what we have, I think, now is we have more outlets than we've ever had. But it's about, like, there's so many outlets, how many people are plugging into them, right? Well,
0: and in addition to that, I feel like uh, there's a, a trend in general to just work towards celebrity. So celebrity is the goal. So then the question becomes, well, what does celebrity do? Because working towards change is not necessarily working towards celebrity. Yeah, it's... I think the celebrity thing is a very interesting one in
1: fitness land too, as clearly, it, it, it it's a le- it's like a a marker of success if you have celebrity clientele, um, whether it's actual or PR related or whoever's actually driving that message home, it's a measure of success. But like you know, I don't know, like it, it because that person might be spending more and clearly looks great but is that any different than the gen pop person who comes in you know who's an accountant who's just fit as fuck as well but it's like she's just not in the movies and i don't know how you level trainer success necessarily on that um of course like i haven't met like an asshole celebrity trainer either i mean i think there's the the, the people that are awesome that are like you know um doing the day-to-day doing it right like don selling you know a drive like trains a bunch of people and does an awesome job His sound like we were over there doing it an in service and we ran into Ben Bruno met first time I got to meet him and he was training Justin Timberlake, like doing what we do, right. Just, you know, happen to be with people of high profile versus then there's, you know, celebrity trainers that try to throw it in your face that they're always working with celebrities, but then there's the trainers themselves as celebrities uh, like on the TV shows and stuff, where you're like, half that information is really off. Um, and I don't know where we gauge that, and I don't know what becomes the goal of celebrity.
0: Um, is it to make more money? Is it for greater awareness? I, I, I don't know. I'm inclined to believe lately, in general, celebrity is a thing, uh, as a culture, as a country, that is, is a goal in and of itself. It's this thing called celebrity. Meaning, I don't, I don't watch a lot of YouTube. My cousins do. Uh, I'm, I i do not understand the YouTuber phenomenon. I'm too old for that. I wish I understood a little bit better because it's a significant economy and it's a way of disseminating information. Uh, and it, but it fascinates me. I miss that whole thing. Like when I'm look, I, I still look at YouTube just as a way of finding information, not because I'm actually interested in tuning in to any yeah. particular personality. It doesn't jive with my sensibility. Um, when it comes to the teaching I've been doing lately with some kids in the circus and stuff like that, uh, the circus and the summer camps, you know, listening to them talk about who they follow on Instagram and and uh, and, and YouTube and whatnot, it, it's it's cultivating that is an end in itself. And I want to be clear, this isn't a judgment. I just think it's something that's really important for people our age to look at and and to understand that that's part of what's being navigated and is what is potentially. Uh, goes back to your question about well what is being done art wise in the world i mean honestly amazing things are being produced right and there are people who are cultivating fan bases phenomenal fan bases that can then translate into uh uh, impact uh, influence and uh, money but then what is it doing what else is it doing yeah or should it be doing anything else it's a really hard gauge i I, i'm
1: There's my view as someone who sometimes feels he's caught in social media marketing as a part of it. I mean, I shouldn't say I'm caught, I'm in it, right? Like it's part of our business now. Uh, And I am still putting out a bunch of stuff, but I'm also trying to really minimize when I feel it's it's important. And um, I actually do less potentially at my detriment on this podcast because like when I felt like it was suddenly like another pressure, it's the only time I didn't love the podcast. You know, it's where I shouldn't say even didn't love where it was only it was like a kind of annoying to have to do this one aspect. So I actually don't post about
0: the podcast as much Um, that, that, you know, that's that makes perfect sense. And it makes me think uh, about consumption in general. How much can any individual actually consume? You know, they're 24 uh, hours in the day. The day, as far as I'm aware, the day hasn't changed that much. And yet there's an astronomical amount of material out there to be consumed and to be constantly being created. Blows my mind. I mean, in this past year, I've totally pulled back on almost any kind of creative output just because I'm trying to wrap my brain around, well, what does it mean to participate in that economy? Again, no judgment. but what do I consume and then what do I want to create for other people to consume? Why do I want them to consume? How do I want to engage with them? Why should I want to engage with them? The the interesting
1: part of that is it's not just say Matt Wilson business, it's also people are, we're getting caught in that as, as as human beings, like outside of the business. Oh, absolutely. Like so, you know, with so I understand everybody that owns a gym or wants is an independent trainer puts out it's like for example, say their swing video. This is you know, or their graphic of this is a hinge and this is a squat. Everyone loves to do that one, right? And I don't say that like judgy, but let's we've seen a shitload of those, right? So it's like, what's the purpose of it, right? Now, is it to get, you know, to enlighten 10 of your clients or 50 of your existing class membership, gym membership, whatever? That's great. Is it meant to help home users that aren't, that you might reach, might be following you from whatever, however they found found you? That's great too. But, but beyond that, like, is that, what is the goal of that? Like, is it going to generate income? I don't know. I mean, we put out so much combined that I don't know if that, that generates income. I think if that thing gets 10,000 likes, maybe you'll get a couple of clients out of it versus that very passive way of just double-clicking on an Instagram picture. Turning that into actual revenue, I think, is tough. Um, but then you see, I see some trainers that, you know, or, or enthusiasts that get caught in doing that as a method where it's like this blurred line of like my personal life and my trainer life. You know, I I always try to guide people. It doesn't happen often when they ask. But, like, you know, sometimes you'll see people on Facebook as their personal business. You know, like, I have a business page, and then I have my personal page. And Coach Fury's listed on both of them because the nickname at MFF had taken over. Um, And it's interesting because I'm actually using Steve a little more often with people. I'm I'm sort of reclaiming it a little bit. Um, But, you know, when people put, like, the initials of their certs after their personal Facebook account, I'm like, those initials are are. I don't want to say they're meaningless to you because they obviously are, but I'm more interested in you and the person that I'm seeing you with your family, maybe than the four, three or four initials at the end of your name. Now, if that was your business page, that would be different. Like, you know, but it's still, even as like a, as a trainer, are are you looking to train trainers in the same modality or are you looking to impress trainers? Because the person down the street doesn't know what an RKC or an SFG is, right? Um, or DVRT, it's what we apply to them. And so it's an interesting thing when we're using Facebook to elevate ourselves as opposed to express ourselves, and I think there is a difference between that. Um, is it a financial tool or a communication tool or all of the above? I think, and then
0: is it is it business or personal? I think that's a really hard line that if I think, it up. A in. line, right? I mean, I think that there's so many blurred things are blurry, things are very ambiguous, and and you, you mentioned Facebook, and that's a very specific platform. Yeah. Right? With very specific economics um, and a very specific way of disseminating information. And every platform is different. And, 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 and then you look at the zoom out and look at the different demographics uh, that are and, and what platforms they're using. And well, what platforms do you use? How do you communicate with your clients? You know what I mean? I think it's so crucial because I barely understand it. But to, to wrap my brain around, okay, well, what does this do? Why am I doing it? Who am I connecting with? Like, honestly, I'd love to try Snapchat. I just don't know who's on it. I, you know, I was on it
1: basically for Wes Walters, show dubs, free content Friday. Um, for better or worse. Boom. There was one very
0: specific reason. There was one
1: very specific reason. Nude fitness lessons. Because it was fucking ridiculous. Um, and it was it was just another thing to worry about and to learn. And if I'm going to invest my learning curve, even if it might potentially impact my income somehow by not using that social media thing, I'm okay to take the hit. You know, it's funny. Someone, uh, I was talking to my friend Thomas, who's in this marketing group with me. And, you know, he was saying, have you, have you seen how ClassPass is going to start is, is now live streaming classes direct to home. So you don't even have to go to the gym on ClassPass. And, you know, uh, I have not dealt with the ClassPass situation, but it seems like it is a, a, a decent way for gyms to get members class pass members, which is very different than like I've signed up for your gym members um, to help make money. But then I've also seen, you know, through the social media, you know, some of the trainer groups that like class pass shifts the deals on people. And suddenly it's not such a great thing for the things. And now feeding streaming things into classes is great for a handful of facilities that might do that. But it's like kind of the death of, I don't want to say death. It's going that way anyway, so I don't want to villainize, make a villain out of Class Pass. But you know, at some point, they'll make smaller VR headsets where you can just work out from home, and it's going to feel like you're in a gym, and you're going to have a headset that's not so big, it doesn't fuck up your neck or anything, and you'll do that. And I've just decided, you know what? Like, I'll be the vintage guy that works on, you know, the the vin- the version of the guy who works on vintage hot rods. I'll be working fitness in that modality, not a dinosaur. But like in
0: person, doing what I do, and then the online coaching the way I do versus that. You hit on a really important distinction. It's something I try to wrap my brain around. So a lot of my work uh, as a performing artist was in musicals, musical theater. So when you're a, a, a musical performer, you invest a lot of time and energy cultivating your uh, your voice. And you spend time with a voice teacher. You often have kind of like a... It's a one It's no different than personal training. You know, you have a very... Um, important relationship with a voice teacher on a regular basis and I remember when maybe five, six years ago um, online voice training became a significant stream or opportunity of income for voice teachers Yeah, and I know in general there's so many ways to interact with people online or stream um, and just personally I don't engage that way and so I, I don't understand it but that's just me and I would like to work towards understanding it so that I can both create for it and also take advantage of it as a consumer. But to speak about wanting to be the hot rodder uh, of fitness, I get that. There's something, I'm still very much uh, an in-person physical experience. but that's, that's very specific. You it's, know what I mean?
1: It, it's interesting bringing this back to essentialism. I, I am that and I'm not. Like one of the things I realized is like I hate commuting in and out of the city. So I enjoy hopping on, like having the, the Zoom chats for the conference calls where I get to see people for the podcast or a conference call or an online session, whatever it might be. So we can see in chat because it's a good middle ground for me. Whereas like I get that personal interaction in a way that doesn't blow my day. And I know that's selfish, but like, I can have that interaction. Like one of the things, one of the big takeaways with the podcast, and and, and it kicked off of something not directly related to podcasts that I was feeling at MFF is, you know, in any of the things I did uh, in professions, but especially in fitness, because because this, the split from my wife happened shortly after it was like, it was like work or kids. And then for a little while I was work kids trying to date and I was work kids and Kim, you know, and trying to make that happen. And with our crazy schedules and a little bit of my age and want to make sure I got some sleep or something, you know, I didn't get to go out much. And so on some ways, like at MFF, I feel like I, I have not connected with people, even though I consider them like brothers and sisters, the way that others have there. Just because it's just really fucking hard for me. I was the only one at the time with kids um, I was going through my divorce through the process and traveling for work a bunch. Right. So I, I regret that to a degree. And then, and then I have these moments when I'm like bumming out a little bit and then I'm like, Oh wait, but wait a minute. Like I really didn't have the option because like I had to see the kids. Right. Or I had to see Kim. And that's the hard part of like essentialism or being minimal. It's like, you're going to own some things at the loss of others, but you have to be okay with that. But You know, whether that's a physical item, like in minimalism, like I threw out fucking t-shirts or something, or – sorry, folks. I think we just got a phone call in there, and I hung up on it. We're going to leave it. Um... That was not completely disrupting to my frame of thought. (laughs) But but anyway, what I'm saying is it's like – but like there's also the emotional component where like I'm not going to be able to have this friendship at the level – I I, I might want to because I need to maintain these other relationships more preciously. I think that's really
0: a key point, the notion of the the level of friendship, right? Like, what does, uh, what is a relationship? And I want to make a distinction between sales relationships and relationships relationships. Meaning, I think you can cultivate sales relationships over a shorter period of time. I think that's what sales tactics are very specifically crafted for to make, make, create an impactful um, relationship in the moment, very similar to a performance, right? Versus you, you still can't replace the time that goes into a deep relationship and friendship. And I think that sometimes they get, uh, there's a little bit of a collapse that happens between those two, uh, but you, you just, you can't replace the, 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 the miles that you are needed to log uh, to, to create a deeper friendship. And so, yeah, when it comes to minimalism uh, or essentialism or whatever you want to call it, uh, the time and energy that's required to cultivate friendship, it will result in fewer friendships. Yeah, I think – I'm going to forget how they worded it, but on the Pete Holmes podcast, they were
1: talking about – you know, you you only have time and room for so many close relationships, right? And certainly, kids take up a big time of that. And clearly, like I had a lot of friends in high school. Like you know, growing up, um, I'll never be like you know, I was like an outcast in a way, and I never felt like I fit in. But I also was never alone in that way. Like I always had people. Cause you were go, punk.
0: You were a dirtbag skate punk. And it was when there weren't a lot of us. And you're and... hanging out with the only dirtbag skate punks in Long Island, <laughs> yeah, which was a pretty good crew, actually. Yeah. Um, but they deep roots. You log those miles. Yeah. You know, and,
1: but then I'm also not good at keeping up with people, yeah. but I hope I at least admit that like, even if I don't see somebody that like the love is genuine, you, you know, you and I, like we don't get to hang out nearly enough, but you know, I fucking asked you to marry us twice. <laughs> and I said, yes. And you said, yes. Um, you know, like, uh, you and Steph are super important to me and but but it's also like we live relatively far away um with schedules so sometimes that's like you know i'm good with accepting like that's part of what it is and sometimes i'm like fuck um i want to make that happen and one of the things that has been nice about fury industries opening here is i have gotten to see more friends and do more Mm. even though i'm slower and the money's hurting a little bit short term um I have been able to go out and see more people and have those relationships, right? So it's all those sacrifices, right? So when I'm jamming on business hardcore, a lot of that stuff goes to the side. And I think any business owner will say, like, you have your relationships and your interactions within the gym. But how many people are actually hanging out outside the gym on a frequently is hard. Because we're also just fucking tired. Um, and our hours tend to suck. But now I'm I'm starting to finally find that balance but this podcast has been an eye-opener in that is that it's a way to me to force myself to reach out to somebody it's a catalyst like I never thinking marketing angles with who I'm bringing on other than I try not to bring on like two people from MFF back to back or two RKcs or two uh, whatever that might be right I try to spread that out but like there's no like this person's gonna pair perfectly off of this I mean sometimes it makes sense but it's just like who haven't I talked to? Have I been? The only thing I think about too is have I had a string of dudes and we've been on a string of dudes and I realized that uh, other than Grace, we've got to get more women on the show. Um, it's been harder to schedule women. I don't mean that as a gross generalization, but it's just been a reality of when I'm talking to try to line up uh, some people from the show. Maybe it's a creep factor I have. But, um, you know, I, I think there's the, the, there's those, how do I word this? You and I and a lot of the MFF staff and a lot of coaches these days, we're very much from the heart, right? Like, we're, we're, we're very open wounds of strength in that, in that sort of field. It's like, I just hope it comes across as genuine and, um, you know, that there's so much love between so many people that it's hard that you can't hang out with that many people. So, like, the comp, I've learned a lot on this podcast about myself and what I do well and what I do poorly, and I, I'm trying to use that as a learning to. It's it's interesting. It's almost like continuing education on this podcast, which I didn't expect it to be. I thought it was going to be like way sillier. <laughs> we just need more sound effects. You, you know what? You and I should do <laughs> fucking. We bring in a whole foley room, perfect. Like old school. Absolutely. Um, I'll bring in like a watermelon and an old saw and celery. Oh, no. can we do a Foley episode? <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> That'd be fucking great. Um, hey, Matt, do you have anything you want to finish up on? We've spoken for yet another hour, and I swear we could go for another one. But
0: that'll come down the line a little bit. But um, anything you want to finish up on? No, that's a lot of pressure. At some point, I'd love to... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about a critique of play. We touched base on it on the last one. Oh, shit. We didn't, but just like, what is play... Because play can be co-opted, just like everything else. And I, I just like, you know, I think it's important to notice that. Well, let's try to go into this until the
1: buzzer. So we're in the buzzer round. Because buzzer round is basically my, my, the, the Fury crew are going to start showing up for class. And uh, it won't be tonight. You're, you, we're we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate six months of the class program here uh, after this class. Uh, for me, play, you know, when I view a play, I, I think of approaches, structures, in a fitness setting, that will allow some emotional levity, in the benefit of work capacity and confidence. Hmm.
0: So that's uh, potentially contributing to resilience.
1: Yeah, both emotionally and physically. Because you know, if I, you know, everyone at MFF would know me as the crawl guy, for better or worse, and they'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna fucking crawl," and then I made this great, in my opinion, great. Empire Strikes Back Hoth Battle crawl game. That was solid. And all of a sudden, people were fucking crawling their asses off to try to defeat the Empire or the Rebellion. You created this really wonderful, clearly delineated structure in which to play. And you know what? You like, created a game. Well, I'll share this game on the Coach Fury Facebook page on how it's played. I just need to find some space to, and a couple people to do it. But um, it's basically work capacity because all of a sudden there was a goal and it was fun and it was silly. And people were now crawling their asses off where they'd get up when it was, the interval was over. And they were like super worked. But if we weren't playing the game, they would have been worked like 15 seconds in. Um, I like magic mirror squats. I programmed an MFF, we did them here, where you match tempo with somebody that you're doing gobble squats or front squats, and you can, can, anybody can take over the lead, right? And who's going lower, higher, whatever. And suddenly, you're squatting for 60 seconds, holding a load, and Normal intervals are usually around like thirty seconds or a certain amount of reps, and you know however we're programming it out. But because they're playing a game and they're forced interaction with a human being, even forced though that's, interaction, even I'm though a fan. even though that's like an uncomfortable thing for some people, I think it's important because quite fucking frankly, unless you live in a cabin, even if you live in a cabin, you're gonna have forced interaction with people, and it's okay to be shy. I'm I'm one of those introverted extroverts. Um, I could totally wallflower like uh, at a party and just not know what to say. But you have to be forced to deal with some people. And it's one of the things I actually do with my kids, where I make them go up and pay for shit a lot, which I never did, and I still sometimes feel weird. I don't know why, even in my 40s sometimes, I'm like, I feel weird asking a question at a store sometimes. Oh, sure. Uh, And I make them do it all the time, because I don't want them to have that thing, forced interaction. Uh, So I think that's really good for people, plus they get to do more. I mean, what would your your thought
0: on play in terms of how you presented that? Well, I think you, you raised a really good point, which is, so there's this thing... I like to describe it as this thing called play, right? This essence. Uh, there's an anthropologist, Victor Turner, who talked about play and playfulness being a very volatile substance. And it, is, it, is, it can has the potential to be radical. With great power comes great responsibility. And you structured play. You channeled it to an ends. That's a significant amount of power. Right, Like you wielded your power to create a space where something was fun, but contributed to you know, work capacity, resilience, uh, whatever the result is, um, that, that is something to be reckoned with. And when, when I see uh, play or the term gamification and flow, they're all of these words that find their way into, whether it's fitness modalities or educational pedagogy, and they can become buzzwords, and they're powerful. But I think it's important to know well why we're we using them, what are we doing with them, and, and what are the what are the end goals or results, right? Like, I don't know that this is going to have to be another podcast. <laughs> um,
1: uh, you know, to end on that, it, it it's also. I love the emotional component of it, of just simply having fun. Yeah. Like, using our – like you know, there's so much, like, you know, negative shit about no pain, no gain, and your workout's my warm-up. And if you could just have fun expressing strength and physicality
0: um, on your own or in a group setting, I, I just think there's something so special there. I think there is. And I think there are incredible groups doing that. And I think it's important to pay attention to them and recognize it and, and, and see, oh, hey, what are they doing? Why does it work? Why do I like it? Or – why are they doing it and why don't I like it? Why does it rub me the wrong way? Um, I don't know. I, I get the, the, the stuff that rubs me the wrong way when it comes to the fitness world or fitness industry is when there's this blurring between, say, play modalities, playfulness, and nutrition science. and You know what I mean? It's when, when people start throwing around facts and figures... And science to support their own personal claims based on what they're teaching, which yeah. again it goes back to what we mentioned earlier about the importance of being being able to be critical—not critical in a negative sense, but just to understand. Oh, you're implementing this. You're linking it to this. To what end? And to what effect? And why? It it, it it's purpose and labels in a weird
1: way, and it's really hard. Um, I I try to, I guess play for me is like it's an act, right? Like the act of play, but it's also like I kind of see play for me as a direct emotion as well. I guess it could be like also that's what maybe joy is. But play for me is like, when I think of it, I think of the emotional impact that that has on
0: me. There's this great researcher, I think it's, uh, is it Jack Ponksop, Uh, if I'm mispronouncing it or I'm incorrect, I apologize. He did amazing research with rats, Uh, they called him the, the rat tickler sounds creepy, it's kind of Wilfred, right? But um, it's, uh, he figured out that rats laughed at a certain frequency and when he found that frequency, he understood them to be playing. And, and he got into uh, a lot of research in uh, emotional emotions within the brains. What is the neurochemistry behind the emotions of which he designated play as almost an emotion? That there's rage and there's anger and there's uh, seeking and there's play. So I would totally look look into his stuff. I feel like play and flow could be very similar. Well, it's funny. This is one of the reasons I want to kind of be critical about it. Because flow... Uh, as defined by Mihai Chiu Chiu That was probably the. I think he nailed it. Actually. Oh, I hope so. I always want to say Mr. Mixaplik from yeah. the Justice League. So you know, so he wrote. You know, he wrote some significant early research on flow. Yeah. And flow states, and the play happens to be something that when one is engaged in play. One potentially enters a flow state. Well, now uh, we're getting into flow and productivity, and that's where I want to get critical with play and flow and productivity, because when it comes to cultivating flow as an end to itself, kind of like plays an end to, unto itself, like I just don't buy it. I'm trying to sort of separate the two. I think flow,
1: I guess flow in the state of flow, you're so in the moment, but sometimes you're not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Which it? happens when one plays. Yeah, but I sometimes it, I think in play, I'm more aware
0: that I'm in a state of play, mm-hmm. like not like a removed from it, but mm-hmm. within it. Like this well, sure, because say depending on the boundaries and the structures. So yeah. If it's a game, but think about what happens when you're playing a game with friends and you lose track of time. True. Yeah. So you know you're playing, but you also have attained a state of flow within that play. Yeah, I mean skateboarding is both flow and play. Absolutely. Deep. Yeah, it's fucking hard,
1: folks. It all comes down to uh, labels, structure, definition, and uh, your own perspective on it. And question everything. Everything. But don't right? be a dick about it. But don't be a dick about it. <laughs> I gave like a little like uh, presentation at a DVRT Master of Trainer Summit. And that was the last slide. Don't be a dick. It's true. I also got like kind of spoken to about saying that. Uh, in front of a group at a cert, and uh, somebody was offended by saying that. I'm like, there is so much okay. going on in this Don't world. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Um, man, there's so much more. We just started to dive, but I'm afraid I'm not going to hear the door when they come in. Uh, Matt, I love you, brother. Dude, I love and, you too, Fury. And we will. I have a feeling you're going to be the first Pete on this show, my uh, friend. I'd be honored. Um, folks, so this is episode 51, and we have hit every week, which means... Not only have we crossed 50 episodes, but next week is our year anniversary Happy
0: anniversary
1: uh, of the podcast. Um, my one ask, my only ask, um, is to... Two. <laughs> I just lied. <laughs> um, keep listening. And please, if you have listened to three or more episodes, give a rating or subscribe. If you've only listened to one or two, like don't worry about it. Like I'm not going to hold you to it. But if you listen to three or more... Hook me up with a solid and either officially subscribe if you haven't yet, but try to leave a rating. Hopefully a five-star, but um, just so it, it helps the algorithms. And it's not so much about me and getting <laughs> Can numbers. Say that again? It, it helps, helps the, the algorithms. algorithms. What it's, have we come to? This is really what it is. But it, it's not so much just about getting my, the podcast itself because it's the Coach Fury Podcast out. It's like I want, you to, I want more people to hear from folks like Matt. Or from you know uh, Grace or the Cavados and, and and all those folks like I, I want the guests to be heard and you can directly help in their reach and my reach and the reach arounds by uh, <laughs> reaching around the algorithm of, by rating and just thank you so much. Next week's guest is going to be. The most collaborative member of the Coach Fury podcast crew, and that is going to be Glenn Urieta, who does all the artwork for this show. Nice. Um, oh, I
0: love the artwork. We I can't are, wait to meet him.
1: Yeah. It, it, so I really look forward to hearing him. He's a super talented. Uh, artist on many levels and many mediums um, and has navigated a lot of different fields um, uh, areas of business within what he does so i'm excited for you to hear from glenn the man behind all the thumbnails 50 plus friggin thumbnails um, with glenn so we got to go the door is here i love you everybody matt tell the listeners to die mighty die mighty
0: the Coach Fury podcast is created,
1: owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury-Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC.
0: Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by
1: Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta.
0: Voice over by Laura Palmer.